It's kind of cool. Uh, Scotty, nobody coming to your workshop today is so awesome, but it reminds me of a story when I went. I, I got invited to speak at this, this festival in Germany, and so I rocked up to the festival. I, I might have told this before, but it's funny anyway. Um, I, I, I went up to there, and I go, hi, I'm Mark Johnson. I'm, I'm here to speak, and they're just like, they're looking at their schedule, and they're like, who are you? Oh, oh, I'm, I'm Mark Johnson. You invited me to come and speak at this festival. And, and, and they're like, they have no record of me, like at the information. And then like they're talking to each other. This guy wants to speak. He's from America, you know, and it's like, no, I didn't want to speak. You invited me to speak, and it, but there was no record. So here's what they said. Well, because it was this big music festival. It was called Freakstock uh, in Germany. And they, um, <coughs> they said, well, we don't have any stages available, but there's a tree over there. We'll announce that you're standing by the tree, and anybody who wants to come to your workshop can go by the tree. <laughs> that was it. Like, so I, I, I like, you know, <laughs> I'm standing by a tree. No microphone, no sound system, just me and a tree. It's probably the lamest experience I've ever had speaking. So it's probably not as bad as a workshop deal, I don't think. <laughs> anyway, oh, I've had many experiences of that, Scotty, actually. I've been announced on stage at a big festival once, and I went on stage, like the jumbotron behind me, you know, with my face on it. I get up to speak, and the only one there is Kirsty. She's like, she's in the middle of this field going, hi, honey. <laughs> so awesome. I gave my talk anyway. <laughs> Kirsty gave her life to Jesus. It was awesome. You know, <clears throat> it was awesome. Hi, honey. <laughs> she's on the live stream right now. <laughs> All right. Um, that was a transition. <clears throat> So this morning, um, I quoted from John 3.16. I said, God loves the world so much that he gave his son that whoever puts their confidence in him, trusts in him, pledges their allegiance to him, will not live a dysfunctional, destructive, doomed life, but will have a life worth living forever. And, uh, and so we, we kind of just talked around that. What does it look like to have a life that's worth living forever? And how do we, how do we step into that? And, that's, and, 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 and so we, we looked at John chapter 8 and where, where Jesus said, <coughs> if you remain in my words, if you, if you are faithful to my teaching, then you'll be my disciples and then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will be free from having to get your way all the time. You will be free from the idolatry of self. And you will be free to live a life where we focus on what counts most. And what counts most is loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And loving our neighbor as ourself. That is what matters most, that is what we put most of our energy toward, and that is what, what 
Jesus wants to do in us to change us, to make us the kind of people that can love under any circumstances. If we learn how to love under any circumstance, then we can love our enemy. It's the only way that we learn how to love our enemy. And I ended by, by quoting Scott McKnight, who's a, um, he's written a thousand books, I think, and he's a New Testament scholar. But he, he described love as a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for them, unto their transformation into the image of Christ. And I want to think about that for a few minutes. Um, a rugged commitment is his words. It's how he describes a covenant. Covenant is a rugged commitment. I like that word rugged in there because it, it, it means, oh, this might not be easy. You know? Love is, is not easy. And rugged, like I, you probably have noticed that I wear Carhartt pants. It's all I've, like, I don't think anybody has ever seen me in any other kind of pants than black Carhartts. Uh, and there's a reason for that, is that these pants are rugged. <laughs> I got this pair six years ago. They are rugged. <laughs> I, have pair, uh, I have a couple pair of Carhartts that are about 12 years old. Yeah, they're a bit ratty, and, and Kirstie's patched them together. It means that they're durable. It means that they can, they can put up with a lot and still function. <laughs> And a rugged commitment is, is like that. If we're going to become the kind of people who know how to love the way Jesus knows how to love, we, we need to know up front that oh, this is going to be rugged. It's part of the deal. Relationships are rugged. Yeah? I mean, we have some that are pretty easy-ish, but even the easy ones at time are... Ooh, this is rugged to be able to hang in there. But it means that we step into the space of, yeah, it's going to be rugged. I'm committed to this person, and I'm going to be with them. I'm going to be for them. And I'm going to also be unto their transformation. It means I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be, play my role in them becoming like Jesus. Love includes all of those things. All of them. Now, we can't do that, I'm going to help you become like Jesus before we're with them and for them. If people don't know we're with them, if people don't know we're for them, they sure as heck aren't going to want to listen to us when we tell them how they can be more like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. And Scott and I, I, I said this earlier, that he, he, he came up with this definition by looking at how God has been with his people throughout history. That God has been fighting to be with us in a way that we can stand since the beginning. His, his picture of this planet is for heaven and earth to come together. For humans to do life with God and stay alive in the process. 
And he does everything that he can to make that happen. And, and if, if we had time to go through the whole scripture, we would see in the very early creation stories, the Garden of Eden was a picture of God and humanity together, where humans were the image of God on the earth. Together, we, we walked in the garden from, with him. Well, things went to custard when we decided we'll do our own thing we want to get our own way other than God's way, and things went to custard. Ever since then, there's been these little scenes of the Garden of Eden, right? The temple was the Garden of Eden. I mean, there was pomegranates all over the place. There were trees all over the place in, in the temple. It was in the tabernacle and then in the temple. It was a place where heaven and earth came together, and God's presence could be there. Go forward to the New Testament, and you have Jesus Heaven and earth together, God and humans together, the very image of God, the very presence of God with his people. And then when, when Jesus launches this whole mission with the church, what is the church called? The temple of God, this place where God is with his people. God is with us. He is with us. He is with you. And not only is with us, he's for us. Now, a lot of people would, would take that, that verse, John 3, 16, and they would say, God so hated the world, <laughs> he was so angry with the world that he sent his son and killed him. You know, it was like God is so angry at things that, that he sends. It's like that's actually not what the scripture says. It says God so loved that he is so for us. And I think some of us have a narrative in our head that God is against me. And if I live out that narrative, if I live out this, that story, I will live the wrong life. I have to have the right story to live the right life. And there is a wrong life. There's a life that doesn't work. There's a life where we don't learn how to love. There is a wrong life, <laughs> and if I have the wrong story, I'm probably going to step into that one. And all of us have had the wrong story at some point in our lives. And my guess is all of us have bits of the story in our head that aren't really aligned with the story of God. And so that colors our interpretation of events. I had an event happen to me. I had this thing happen uh, a while back ago. I was on the waterfront with my boys. It was ice cream Friday. So we went down to the waterfront, got an ice cream. We're walking on, the, on uh, <coughs> the waterfront, and all of a sudden a bird poos on my shoulder. Now, there's a lot of ways I could look at what happened, depending on the story in my head, right? If I have the story that God is against me, my response is, I knew this was going to happen. God hates me. He sent that bird to poo on my shoulder just to embarrass me in front of my kids. I could have had that story, and I could have been devastated by it. It could have been another thing going wrong in my life that proves that God doesn't love me. I could have that story to prove he's against me. Or I could have had a whole different story going on in my head. I could have said, birds are out to get me. Birds, <laughs> birds are evil. All birds must die. But there's, there's a logic to that if you follow it. There is a logic to that if you follow it. It just starts with the wrong premise. 
and I could have spent the rest of my life killing every bird that I saw. That would have been a little twisted, huh? I wonder what story goes through the head of many people who do evil things. Or I could have had the story of, ah, stuff happens sometimes, and that is hilarious, which is, that's the story. I said, look at this. Like, boys thought it was hilarious. A bird pooed on their dad at the waterfront. That's pretty cool. That doesn't happen every day. I must be special. <laughs> God must really love me to allow that to happen to me. How many of you had a bird poo on your shoulder when with your boys at the waterfront? Not many in the room. Thank you very much. I'm pretty special. And I wiped it off and we laughed and we went on with our ice cream Friday. The story we tell ourselves determines the life that we live. We are prisoners to the ideas in our heads. And if I don't get the right story, I live out the wrong life. And if I have a story that God is against me, I'm going to have a hard time living out this life of learning how to love. Because if the creator of the universe is against me, how can I ever be for anybody else? How can I do it? Now, it's a problem, though, isn't it? Because we've all had some pretty bad things happen to us. And some of us have had horrific things happen to us. And how do, we, how do we get to that place where we can interpret the events of our lives with God being good and God loving us and God being for us? It's pretty difficult sometimes. And that's not going to happen overnight because a lot of us got that story at a young age and we grew up with that story that God might not be good, he might not be for me, he might not even be with me, and so how do I navigate the world? That's a big conversation that we could have, and I'd love to have it in the room right now. Um, we can't really get there right now, but I have to go back to the words of Jesus. I have to at least sit with his words, say, okay, Jesus kind of knew what he was talking about. He was kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know that. He was a big deal, and he, he changed the world, and maybe some things that he said were true and that I need to step into them and learn how, how to live them and learn how to believe them. And for some of us, that's going to take, well, all of us, it's going to take a long time. It's not something that somebody can pray into me. I wish it was. There's times where you can pray and you can see some real breakthroughs, but, but it is a long journey learning how to have the right story about God's love, about what it looks like. But it's so important that we're, we're up for it. And let me give you some ideas about how, how, to, how to sit with <coughs> the right story. And we have to take a step back. When Jesus said, learn how to love the Lord your God, or he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, 
all your strength. By the way, those of you who are like hardcore Anglican, this is right out of 404, the 404 service in the prayer book. If you do that service, you say those words every single week. Every single week, it's in there. Now, most people have pulled that out. I did. I put it back in this year. We say it every single week at St. Tom's. We say that every week. Because I want, I just want to get it drilled into my head that this is what matters most. But you notice that those are, are four parts of, the, of a person. Our heart, our soul. I, this, is, this is the word soul in Hebrew. It's nefesh, it's neck, right? So that's how I remember it. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Those are part, strength is my body, mind is my mind, my thoughts, my emotions. Heart is the center, my, it's, it's where I make my choices. It's the, it's the control center of my life. And my soul puts everything together. It's, it's all of who I am. And now we have to recognize that all of those parts have been formed before we met Jesus. Or if we met Jesus as a child, they've been kind of formed sort of also by the world. Um, here's my, my wonderful story of how I was formed. I grew up in America, and from age 6 to age 17, I said every morning, just about every morning at school, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And my church never thought anything was weird about that. Pledging my allegiance to a flag was not weird in America. But I said the Pledge of Allegiance more than I said the Lord's Prayer growing up. What do you think formed me most? All right, I'm a big of bit of a punk, so I was able to reject that as I got older. But that was formative. So all of us, now you haven't been formed by that, and you can thank God for that, but you have been formed by things in this culture. Things that, that you don't even know. Things that you just kind of grew up, you swam in it. And they formed us in a way that was contrary to our ability to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So we have to be reformed. We have to be reformed. And being reformed takes time, and it takes some degree of thought. Now, the beautiful thing about the thing that we're called to do most is that you don't have to be gifted to learn how to love. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to be awesome. You just have to be willing. And we can learn how to love. But I have to realize that I need to be reformed, and some of the ways I need to be reformed are like this indirect way. Dallas Willard is really brilliant on this kind of stuff if, you're, if you ever want to read anything on it. But he talks about indirection, where if I'm going to learn how to love with everything I am, I can't just be in the moment and say, okay, I'm going to love and just try really hard. I have to do some other stuff over here this is going to change who I am so that I can show up back here and be different. And let me tell you probably one of the most important disciplines that you can do right now in your life is get enough sleep. Sorry, those of you who have kids. I'm really sorry. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Your formation is just going to have to wait. <laughs> I'm serious. Our capacity of love to love is, is dependent on how much sleep we get. I mean, we all know this, don't we? When I don't get enough sleep, I am really, really crabby. And the little things that people do that normally I can go, oh, no big deal, they really bother me. They really bother me. I can love under many conditions. Lack of sleep is probably not one that I can do consistently. So if you take nothing away from this whole day, just remember, I need to get enough sleep if I'm going to be like Jesus. <laughs> I actually need to have a discipline of that. Which means you're going to have to turn your phone off or close the computer or turn the TV, whatever, whatever your thing is. If you live in a community house, you're just going to have to go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. Don't stay up talking anymore. <laughs> Nobody is that interesting. Go to bed. <clears throat> the, the point here is there's stuff that we can do over here that, you th that sometimes we think isn't really terribly formative or doesn't connect with this thing over here, but it actually does. So the stuff of silence and solitude for some of us is like a, a really important thing to do over here so that I can show up over here. It really is. Now, those of you who are kind of introverts and all that kind of stuff, don't use that as a cop-out just to be alone. Okay, I know that, I know that trick. I'm one of them. I'm not working on my formation. I'm just getting rid of people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Spiritual disciplines, these practices. So uh, if you guys can think in your head right now, I'm doing a triangle, okay? I'm talking about the story. We've got to have the right story in order to love well. We have to write, have the right practices in our life to reform, to reshape who we are. And the third one is, is community, a group of people to travel with. Those three things are really necessary. They're just necessary for us to learn how to love the way Jesus loved, to learn uh, and to be shaped so that I can be with people, I can be for them, but I also can be for their, unto their transformation. All right? So there's these soul practices, disciplines, I don't care, whatever you want to call them. This, these things that we do, and they help shape who we are. Now, some of those things need to tie into the story so that we can learn the story. So some of those things are around, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the, the prayer book. I'm going to pray in a way I hardly ever pray because some of those words actually are going to tell me my story over and over and over again. Even if I don't want to hear it, they're just going to tell me my story over and over and over again. This is one thing about, like, a liturgical church. I'm not a liturgical guy. You probably have figured that. I'm just not. But, boy, in these last 11 years, it has got under my skin, and it has helped me to stay in my story. I am a punk by nature. I don't want to do anything anybody else is doing. If someone's going to lean in that way, I want to lean the other way. Liturgy, you've got to be kidding me. Why am I saying words that have been said for, you know, hundreds of years? Well, there's actually some wisdom in it. 
and they're be it's beginning to shape who I am. Those practices that we do that remind us of our story consistently will help us live the right life, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Um, <coughs> I, <u> <laughs> I used to think that everything had to be awesome in order for it to count. You know what I mean? Like a worship service had to be awesome if it was going to make a difference in my life. The worship had to be like smoke machine-like, you know, in order for it to make a difference in my life. <sighs> but you know what I'm realizing now? Boring is actually good. And showing up actually matters. And those things begin to shape me. Now, I, you know, I, I love it when people are doing backflips and amazing things are happening like that. I, I think it's really, really good. But when we're talking about these practices over here, there's something about doing these things and staying with them, and they shape who we are, and it affects our ability to love. So I'm not doing this over here just so that I can feel like I'm awesome and whatever. It's so that I can love. I get up early in the morning to spend my time in the Word and stuff like that. Why? So that I can love my family well. And so I can love my community and love my church well. I have to do this over here. Otherwise, I won't be able to. And this started like right when Kirsty and I got married. Um, I realized I do not have as much energy as Kirsty. I need a head start on the day because when she wakes up, she's awake. And it, it became a spiritual discipline for me to get up two hours before her so that I could love her well. I don't know if I've ever said that to her, but, but that I just did now. Hi, hon. Um, <coughs> I want to love her well. Now, I love my time in the morning. I love reading the Word. I love kind of the devotional books that I get stuck into, and I love writing and praying. It's, I mean, it's a really, really sacred time for me. But I do it so that I can become a person who loves, not just so I can have my little, nice little time. I've got to have these practices in my life in order to help me love better. And some of them I only do for a while, and I don't really need to do them anymore. Right? You don't need to do everything forever. Sometimes you just, oh, I think I'm done with that. I don't need to do that. I keep saying that about fasting. Oh, I think I'm done. I don't need to fast anymore. Awesome. We need the right story, we need the right practices that help shape us, and we need a community of people to roll with. You probably figured out that this life, the life worth living forever is not an individual life. The project of God on this planet is not just about me, it's not just about you, right? And so God gives us community to walk with he gives us a community to teach us how to love. And we learn how to love by having people that are really difficult to love in our community. And the good news is that you are that person for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're all in this together where God uses us so that he teaches us how to love. And when we step into that, 
community, we learn how to not get our way. And it's so important to learn how to not get our way. Some, <laughs> this is true, some people are in your life, God put them there just so that you can't get your way. And he does that as a gift so that you can become more like him and so that you can learn how to love. Isn't that awesome? Those of you who are married are going, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it's true, though. And kids don't even get me started. They're beautiful. They're awesome. And we learn how to love. And we, we, we learn that we didn't even know we had the capacity to love the way we do when we have kids. Today uh, <coughs> is the birthday, was the birthday of a very important person at St. Tom's, and she passed away in, in November. And uh, her name was Dorothy, and Dorothy was uh, a real gift um, to me and to St. Tom's. Dorothy used to, uh, Dorothy was diagnosed with schizophrenia when she was 19, and then I'd pick up the cup and I'd pray over the cup and said, you know, do this to remember me, and Dorothy would ring again, boom, boom, boom. I remember one Sunday she goes, Mark, why do I ring the bell? I said, I don't know, Dorothy, you were doing it long before I got here. <laughs> Dorothy used to stand up sometimes on Sunday morning and announce to us that Jesus was there. She would say, I had a vision of Jesus. If I didn't say Jesus enough in the service, you need to talk about Jesus more, Mark. <laughs> I thought I was, but I'll, I'll work on it, Dorothy. I went to visit her in her flat once, and <coughs> she lived in Aro Valley, and she had a, she used to have a view of the harbor, or a view of the city, and, uh, and she goes, yeah, I used to be able to see the water, but then this tree grew up, and now she just had a tree. I wanted it. She wanted to be healed. And yet, there she was saying the tree is nice too. And I think of that, it's like, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to not have the world revolve around you, not have your w the world revolve around everything that you want. It's to be able to look at the circumstances of life and be able to say, oh, the tree is nice too. And she got to that place through a lot of suffering. That's why God put us on this planet. So we need his story. We need good practices. We need a community to travel with. We need people like Dorothy to show us what it looks like in, in, in practice. And then we need to remember, I need to learn how to be with people. I need to be for them. The best that I can, I need to be for them. It doesn't mean I'm for everything that for you. But I also need to be in that place where I say, you know what? I want you to become like Jesus. And whatever authority I have, whatever, whatever permission you give me to, to, to talk to you about your stuff, I'm going to talk to you about your stuff as you talk to me about my stuff. Because our goal is to be like Jesus. And we need to know that that is what we're destined is to love well. When we do that, 
we make disciples of Jesus because it will happen. When I was young, I had a punk band. I used to travel around doing shows, punk shows. It's true. I could, I could demonstrate, but I'd knock over some things. We used to have a song, and I used to scream it. I, by the way, I heard Scotty do some screaming back in the day, but anyway. <laughs> and I used to sing, to change the world or die trying. That is the fate I choose. And music would get louder. <laughs> to change the world or die trying. That is the fate I choose. And I used to scream it. <coughs> and I believed it. I believed it, that we could change the world. I kind of still do. It's a little more nuanced than it was back then. Probably not through screaming at punk shows, although I'm up for it still if I, if I could. But when we learn how to love well, we actually change the world. That's not some romantic talk. That's actually true. It is our mission. It is what counts most. And my encouragement for us is to stick to what counts most. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, even if your neighbor is your enemy. Learn to love well. Amen. Lord, um, I'm pretty sure some of us right now are struggling with the wrong story. We're just, we've got the wrong story in our heads. wrong story about who we are, or we have the wrong story about how life works. We need your help, Jesus. We need your help. Would you help us? and our hearts with yours. I thank you to change the world. Amen.